0: Guys, so exciting. I get to be here on your last week. <laughs> I love it. Matt, uh, Matt gave me two kind of like last assignments. I get to uh, close this out in this series that we've been in, um, which is exciting, and also just uh, get to celebrate you guys leaving here and leaving 430. I'll tell you, from a preacher's perspective, I do not like preaching at 430. So this is at least a gift to Matt. Um, I don't know if you guys are excited about 10 a.m. or not. Um, but let me, let me open this in prayer. Um, and, uh, and then we're going to jump into the word. Uh, Father, we are uh, your humble um, kids, and, and Lord, we're humble, but we know how much you love us. Um, it's like my, my, my greatest joy for my children is that they respect me, yeah, but they know that they're so deeply loved. And Lord, that is, that is just the truth of us tonight. We are are humble before you. We recognize our need for you. We recognize your awesomeness. We're gonna look at this in our passage. Your your character is unmatched, Heavenly Father. Your grace, your mercy, your love, the way we express those things is is, is but a shadow of the reality that they are in you. And Lord, that the, the God of the universe that is so awesome and and powerful and beautiful would condescend to love us and not just love us but but create us and put us in a place with a calling and give us work to do and give us this world to be in and and just good labor uh to do to make it more like the new creation lord that is a that is a thing worth celebrating and a thing worth worshiping so lord that is what we're here to do we're here to worship. We get to do that through song, we get to to do that through engaging our minds in your word, letting you teach us, train us, mature us, and Lord, we ask that the supernatural power of heart transformation would be the work that you do. Holy Spirit, we ask that there is not a single inch, there's not a a nook or a cranny of our heart that you don't touch tonight, as you invite us to ask a, a difficult question along with uh, our friend Jonah in the Bible, Lord, would you uncover what it is you want to uncover in us to make us the man or the woman that you want us to be. And Lord, we submit to you fully in that, again, as, as your children that are so deeply loved. And so it's in the name of Jesus that we pray, amen. Um, so we are in this series um, called Questions God Asks. And and y'all know that, you know, we're we're in this, like I said, this is the last Sunday we're in it. But I just got to say, because I haven't gotten to preach to you guys yet, I love this series. And it's because I love questions so much. I, I don't think there's a more powerful tool in your relationship tool belt or a more powerful tool in your conversational tool belt than good questions. If I were to ask all of you who your favorite friends are, And I wouldn't do that, right? Because you're probably sitting next to all kinds of friends. But if I were to ask you, like, who are your favorite people in the world? Chances are part of their characteristic would be they're they're good question askers. Questions do something incredible for us. What what questions do is questions show a door for us. They kind of invite us or they reveal a door for us and invite us to open it and go in, right? A question will will present us with something and, and say, come on. Check this out. Enter into this. Do you guys know that this is a door right here? I was looking at this earlier. Through that right there is a door, and I'm not going to tell you what's behind it. You should come check it, out after, check it out afterwards. But that's right there. Now you know, right? So if I were to open this and invite you in, that would be some place you can go, a place you've never been before. And you guys are like, what is going on? But a good question invites us to step through a door, and a door into something about ourselves uh, that we might not know. And so that is uh, our series, and we have a question. Um, Nilka, you want to come on up and read our our passage for us? Um, Turn to the book of Jonah, please, as she comes up, and we're going to hear from Jonah chapter 4, the question that God asks Jonah and is asking us.
1: This is Jonah chapter 4. But to Jonah, this seemed very wrong, and he became angry. He prayed to the Lord, Isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? That is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. But the Lord replied, is it right for you to be angry? Jonah had gone out and sat down at a place east of the city. There he made himself a shelter, sat in its shade, and waited to see what would happen to the city. Then the Lord God provided a leafy plant and made it grow up over Jonah to give shade for his head to ease his discomfort. And Jonah was very happy about the plant. But at dawn the next day, God provided a worm which chewed the plant so that it, wi- uh, so that it withered. And the sun rose, when the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind and the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. He wanted to die and said, it would be better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? It is, he said, and I'm so angry I wish I were dead. But the Lord said, you have been concerned about this plant, though you did not tend it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and died overnight. And should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh, in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell the right hand from their left, and also many animals. This is the word of the Lord.
0: And yes, it does end with, and also many animals. (laughs) Thank you so much, Noka. Okay, guys. God is talking to Jonah, and he looks at Jonah, and, and, and our question for tonight, the question that we're closing out this whole series is this question, is it right for you to be angry? I, uh, my wife and I started a new Netflix series. I think, I think it just came out with the first episode, and honestly, I kind of could care less about what the other episodes are, because this one was amazing. And this, this is, I think it's called Untold. But are, are y'all familiar with uh, what people call Malice in the Palace? Anybody, we got any N- NBA fans in here? Wow, just a couple, okay. So let me, let me educate you. So in uh, 2004... Um, there was an NBA game between two of the best teams that season, um, the uh, Indiana Pacers and the Detroit Pistons. Um, that game didn't end well, let me say that, all right? There were players, eventually there were players in the stands, there were chairs being thrown, I'm pretty sure there were like people being thrown. It was, it was literally a brawl, a riot, and it made, I mean, it made, you know, national news and not just sports news. I mean, this, this, this fight at the end of this NBA game, was all over the news. And the, the question that this new telling of the story, because that's, that's what Netflix is doing, is they're, they're bringing back this event that happened in 2004, and they're retelling it. And the question is really the same question that God is asking Jonah. Is it right for these people to be angry? Because originally, when it happened, and, and if you, maybe if you heard it, you, you would have kind of caught wind of this, but I mean, it was very clear who people were saying uh, the fault was. It was very clear who was being blamed, and Netflix is kind of looking at it, and they're saying, well, if we look at all the footage again, if we kind of look at all the details that were going on and try to understand, you know, why people were feeling the way they were feeling and what caused what, then the the, the question we're left with is, is it right for these folks to be angry? And that's, of course, the question that Jonah is being asked by the Lord. I love how the ESV puts it. The ESV translation says, God tells Jonah, do you do right to be angry? And this, this isn't a question, and this sermon isn't just a sermon about all kinds of anger, because we're looking at a particular story. We want to know in this particular story, and we're going to look at some of the details, why was it that Jonah was so angry? Nilka read for us in verse 1, But to Jonah this seemed very wrong, and he became angry. That translation, you know, they're trying to make it make sense in English. If you were to translate this literally from the Hebrew, like word for word, it says, to Jonah, this was evil, a very great evil. And he became disgusted and angry. So Jonah lost his mind. Like he threw an adult temper tantrum. He is out of his mind with rage. That's something that God did. So let's take a look at this story. So y'all, many of you know the story of Jonah. It's a very famous story. And most of you know this. This is the whale of a tale story, right? This is the story about the fish. Guys, the fish at best has a bit part in this. The fish has like two verses. The book of Jonah is not about the whale. The book of Jonah is about a battle between God and between Jonah. There are two characters in our passage and there's really two characters, really only two characters that matter throughout the whole book. And this is an epic standoff, an epic battle between the love of God and the anger of Jonah, between the grace of God and the judgment of Jonah, between the mercy of God and the vengeance of Jonah. So Jonah, way back at the beginning of the book, he's God's prophet. It is his sole job in the whole nation of Israel to tell people the word of the Lord. Imagine if the entire like, nation of America had one pastor And that pastor had direct access, direct words from the Lord for those people. That is what the prophet was. The entire nation of Israel had Jonah as their prophet. And God says, you know what? Jonah, I got an assignment for you. I want you to pack up. We're leaving Israel. We're going to go to this place called Nineveh. Now, guys, I have no comparison because we live such nice, uh, safe, for the most part, lives in America. I have no comparison for you to describe and compare Nineveh. There's, there's no comparison of a country that would have been more feared, that would have been more hated, that would have been uh, more of a threat to Jonah and his people. Nineveh, the, the Ninevites were, um, they were evil. They were uh, violent. The things that they did to prisoners when they took over an area or took over a land, they, they, they took no prisoners. I'll put it that way. And so the Israelites were right on the border of Nineveh, and this was at the time, as far as um, you know, historians know, it was the largest city in the entire world. We see there at the very end, it says there were 120,000 people. The average size of a city at that time was 30,000 people, like a big city, 30,000 people. Nineveh was 120,000 people. So God says, pack up, you're gonna head to Nineveh, and I want you to give my word to them. And we don't know exactly what the word was. We know that it involved repentance, a call to repentance. Anytime God called his prophets to say anything, it was to say, this is what the Lord says, this is what you're doing, let's reconcile the two, Right? Let me encourage you to to follow the word of the Lord and to get back on track, because guess what? If you don't follow the word of the Lord, there are consequences. There are natural consequences, because God made this world, and he made this world with his law, and when we break his laws, there's natural consequences. We also know that in this time, God would call his prophets to preach judgment against people, and this wasn't a natural consequence that the prophet was preaching. This was a supernatural consequence. Like God is gonna send something to wreck you unless you obey. And this is the only time that we know of where a prophet was sent away from his home country to directly to the people that he was supposed to give judgment to. And that was Jonah. He was sent to Nineveh. And we know the story, hopefully, Jonah, or not hopefully, if you don't know the story, it's totally fine. Jonah tries to uh, leave. He's like, God, I'm not gonna do this. No way, no way, I'm leaving. He hops on a boat. The boat ends up in a huge storm because you don't leave God. You know, it says he, in verse uh, chapter 1, it says he fled from the presence of the Lord. There's no way to flee from the presence of the Lord, right? The Lord is always with you. He's always with us. So Jonah is fleeing from the Lord, and he doesn't get anywhere because he just ends up in more part of the, the Lord's world out in the ocean. And so the Lord calls a storm. They throw him overboard. And then the fish. Okay, the fish comes. It swallows Jonah, and it takes him right back to where he was supposed to go because God will not be denied the assignment that God has given you, there's no turning back from it. And Jonah found that out the hard way, the smelly way in the, in the belly of a fish. So he gets spit out onto the shore, he makes his way to Nineveh, and he gives God's message. He gives that word of judgment and repentance. And this is what we find in the last verse of the chapter right before what we just read. The last verse of chapter three says this, When God saw what they did, meaning the Ninevites, and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented, and he did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. So in other words, Jonah's words worked perfectly. Jonah's assignment went off without a hitch. He was the most successful prophet in the history of all prophets. He was the most successful pastor preacher in the history of all pastors and preachers. 120,000 people basically were led to believe this entire city about faith. It says they turned from their evil ways. That's another word for repented, but but like physically like they turned, like they were going one direction toward evil, toward the violence, right, toward all the destruction and they turned and they started going a different direction toward the Lord. And so what does God do? He shows them his character. He shows them his grace. He shows them his mercy. He shows them his compassion. These evil people don't get the thing that they deserved. And then we hear how Jonah responds to this. But Jonah, this was evil, a very great evil. And he became angry and disgusted. Jonah sees the character of God, he sees the grace of God, and he brings the character of Jonah. In in, in the face of the grace and mercy of God, we get the anger of Jonah, we get the, the vengeance of Jonah, we get the judgment of Jonah. So this story this book, this entire book of the Bible, thank the Lord that it's in here because it's so fascinating. It holds up two pictures for us. It holds up this, this protagonist and this antagonist, right? Every great drama has the, you know, the hero and the villain, the two characters that are pitted against one another. In this case, this is the anger of Jonah and the grace of God. You couldn't have a more dichotomous situation, a more dichotomous picture of two people, So what Jonah was angry at, when when God says, do you do right to be angry, what Jonah was angry at was God. Jonah was angry at the grace of God. And that should bring up a question. (laughs) Because remember, this isn't about Jonah right now. It was about Jonah when it happened. Now it's about us. Jonah's gone. Jonah's dead. We'll see Jonah in heaven, hopefully. This is now about you. This is about me. God is asking us when we look into our lives and we find situations where we are like Jonah, when we see the grace of God, and somehow that makes us angry, because I'm about to make the case that when we see the grace of God and we actually understand it for what it is, it should probably make you angry. So let's stop for just a second and talk about anger. Anger is uh, its one of the bad emotions, right? Like we, know, we all know that, right? There's good emotions that I want to have. I was taught as a kid it's good to be, you know, whatever, happy, joyful. Bad emotions. It's not good to be sad, angry. And depending on your house, maybe your house was extremely emotionally healthy. Mine was not. <laughs> Mine was not. There were good emotions to have. There were emotions that brought me peace. There were emotions that brought me safety. And then there were bad emotions. There were traumatic emotions. There were emotions that if they were in me, they were bad. And certainly if I saw them in other people, they were bad. That is not the way the Bible teaches us about anger. Anger is not one of the bad emotions. But like all emotions in our sin, it can be bad. It can take us way off the path. Here's how I want you to think about anger. Anger has a direct line to love. Anger and love are tied together. Anywhere love goes, anger's going. I want you to think about anger like the bodyguard that follows around a celebrity, right? Or an important person. Every important person's got their bodyguard, right? They got the muscle, right? You can call it that. Where's the muscle? Oh, yeah, there's the muscle. It's the big guy, right, behind the celebrity, the important person. The bodyguard, the muscle, is there to make sure that whatever the celebrity wants is what's gonna happen, right? That's what anger is supposed to be like for your love. Anger is the muscle behind your love. When your love is threatened, what should happen? You should get angry. And when your love is right, when your love is good, when your love is toward the right thing, then your anger should be backing up that love. If my kids are threatened, watch out. Seriously, watch out. Any good father, any good mother, any good human being should fight, should be willing to fight, should be willing to, to leverage their anger for the sake of the thing that they love. That is what anger was intended for. And guess what? God is angry. God is very angry. Guess what? God is angry all the time. Why? Why is God angry all the time? Because his love, the things he loves, is constantly being threatened because of sin, because of brokenness, because of people and things not going the way that God intended, not going the way that God originally created. And the reason God is angry is the same reason why we have to mistrust our own anger. The reason God is angry is the same reason why I need to be a little bit mistrustful. I need to be a little bit wary of my own anger. Because God is angry at sin, and it's sin. It's, it's, it's the way that sin has affected the things I love and how I treat the things I love that makes me not use my anger appropriately. Because we all know this. Even though I can get angry for what I love, do I always love the right things? No. Do I always love the right things in the right way? No. I love to call it, uh, another pastor in Midtown calls this, the you for me. Right? I love you for me. Right? I love you. I love you so much for me. And if you pay attention, you'll see how much of my love for you is really for me. That's just one example. Sin messes with my loves. Sin messes with my desires. And so God comes to us. Yes, to Jonah, but to us now. And he says, do you do right to be angry? In other words, is this anger for the right thing? Is this anger protecting the right thing? Is this anger fighting for something that's good and true and beautiful? just like every good question, that is an open door. That is a door. It's a door that God is saying, hey, come into this. Check this out. Dig into this. Find what's behind this anger. See if it's love for the right thing. And see if it's love and anger that's wielded in the right way. And guys, the amazing irony of this story, when you read, I would, please, just it's four chapters. it take you 15 minutes. Read the book of Jonah. When you, get, when you get the chance, the amazing irony of the story of the book of Jonah is that when God asked Jonah, do you right, do right to be angry? The answer is shockingly obvious. When you read the book, Jonah is not right to be angry. Just earlier, two chapters before in chapter two, right after Jonah was swallowed by the fish, Jonah prays to God, thanking God for his great mercy. And you know why he prays to God, thanking God for his great mercy? Because he recognized that he needed it. He needed God's grace. He needed God's compassion. He needed the love of God that he received, but that he could not allow to be for Nineveh. In chapter two, Jonah says, I repent. I'm undone. Save me, Lord. And the next chance he gets to see the Lord saving someone else, he blows up. Don't you see that? He's angry, but his anger is connected to the wrong love. Or really, here's a better way to say it. His anger was connected to the right love, but it was human love. It wasn't God's love. Remember, I said this, this story is supposed to show for us how the character of Jonah, which, aka us, and the character of God is pitted against each other. And so what we learn is even when Jonah loves good things, and let me tell you who Jonah loved. Jonah loved Israel, his people. He wanted to, to you know, preach to his people. He wanted to get God's grace for his people. And Jonah loved Jonah. Jonah loved his people and he loved Jonah. Is it wrong to love your people? No. But is it wrong to only love your people? Is it wrong to just say, no, you know what? These are my people, they look like me. You know, they act like me. They're, they're, they're easy to be around. They don't challenge me. They don't push me. They're not, they don't make me uncomfortable. They don't make me afraid, even. When we do that, when we say, no, God's love is mostly or only for these people, then clearly that's misdirected love. And so anger behind that is not going to be a good thing. Because God loved Jonah's people. And God loved Jonah. But who did God also love? Jonah's enemies. Ooh, ouch. God loves you. Oh, by the way, God also loves the people you hate. Ooh, okay, you start to see maybe why grace can make us angry. You see where this is going? You see now how Jonah, in the face of something we love to sing about, how many songs are written about the grace of God? How many songs are written about anger? Not as many, right? We love to sing about the grace of God, but in the face of the real grace of God, the reckless grace of God, the improbable grace of God, the grace of God that doesn't make any sense anywhere, Jonah becomes angry, and I think we do too. I think that is, that is a, a very important point that this scripture is trying to tell us, is that deep down, the, the doorway of your anger, a lot of times when it's sinful, when your anger is sinful, the, the, the doorway of that anger, when you walk through that door, you will find somewhere an inability to accept the grace of God. It's what made Jonah angry. It's what made him blow up, a grown man throwing a temper tantrum because of the grace of God. Why is that? It's because the grace of God doesn't make sense. (laughs) Guys, I don't care if you're type A or type B. Right? There's those of you that you, you, know, you ask your friends, you even ask you, what do you think your friends would say about you? And they're like, oh yeah, that person, they, they kind of need everything in line. right? Like I need everything in the boxes, like maybe you're an engineer, maybe you're gifted in, in like, some of these like, mathematical or science kind of fields. And like, you keep your life in order. I walk in your front door and it's like, you know, everything is exactly where it needs to be and I know it. But whether you're type A or even not, if you're the kind of person that's kind of like, I'm well, just like, whatever, man, like, this is awesome, so cool, whatever it is. We all need things to go a certain way. We have an understanding of how the world works. We have expectations for our lives and for others' lives. And you better bet we have expectations for God. That's called law. We all live by law, every one of us. We live by our own laws. We live by the laws that we've decided are good, are right. Or we haven't even decided, we've just taken them on because we grew up with them. We've seen them. They've been put onto us. Every single one of us lives with law. And you know what grace goes against in our own lives? Law. Because what grace does is it looks at you and it says, you know what, Ninevites? You broke my law. You know what, Jonah? You broke my law. And because my character, this is God talking, right? Because my character is a character of grace. I'm going to love you still. Because grace is a gift. Grace is not earned. Grace is not built on laws. Grace is built on the character of God. And so it's what allows God in his character to even look like a nation, look at a nation like Nineveh and say, I will love you. I will redeem you. I will call many of you, many Ninevites. We don't know, but we believe many Ninevites came to know the Lord at that time. Forever after, they were followers of Yahweh. They were followers of the one true God. And we will see them in heaven because of the grace of God. But to us, grace doesn't make sense. In the face of radical grace, you know what we do? We get surgical, right? Right? Like, let me slice and dice you. I'm going to pick out every single thing in you because remember, according to my law, I can judge you and decide whether you meet the expectation or not, whether you raise to the bar or not. And I go around with my laws doing this with everybody. I do it consciously and I do it unconsciously. I do it with people closest to me, like my, my, the most intimate people in my life I do it to, and I do it to the people I don't even know. I pass somebody on the street and it's just clicking, like do-do-do-do-do-do-do, like figuring out, making judgments. A lot of that, I'm not even going to try to talk about which ones of those are good or which ones of those are bad, but what I'm telling you is we all live according to our laws, and this passage is asking us to look at the character of God and the grace of God. So how do we recover the grace of God? We have to look back at the character of God. when I'm faced with the door of my own anger, when I hear the Lord ask me, do you do right to be angry? I go to the character of God and I'm reminded of his grace, of his compassion, of his love and his mercy. Second Peter says, the Lord desires to lose no one but desires that all would come to repentance. I return back to that Lord who, who desires that all would come to repentance. I, I turn back to the character of Jesus, who as he walked up to Jerusalem, about to be crucified, he looked down in Jerusalem and he wept, and he said, Jerusalem, oh, how I wish that I could gather you like like chicks under my wing that God who would look at people and say, I wish you could be like my chicks to come under and and find shelter close to me. That God is the God whose character we look at when we are angry. And you know what we find there? We find grace for ourselves. And when we find grace for ourselves, we're able to have grace for other people. Maybe, The reason why you and I struggle to have grace for others really isn't because we struggle to have grace for others. It's because we've never tasted the truth of it for ourselves. And if I, and this is why I said, guys, if we really look into this, I think it makes us angry, if I really did business with the grace of God for me and how much I believe it, I think it would shock us. I can't tell you as I've been preparing the sermon this week Seeing clearly, Jonah is angry at grace. There's no other way to look at it. He's enraged at grace, and I have tried so hard to figure out, Lord, what is it about this grace that's so infuriating? And the Lord started to show me, started to show me all the ways that I live with law against myself and law against everybody else. And it steals my ability to experience the grace of God for me. And ultimately, the character of God, the grace of God, the experience of that comes through a knowledge of Jesus and a relationship with Jesus. Because it was Jesus who was the physical manifestation, the expression in bodily form of the grace of God. He was grace incarnate, he was love incarnate, he was mercy incarnate. Instead of just telling us that God's gracious, instead of just telling us or sending us a word from the Lord or putting it even in the scriptures, God himself came to be that for us. That is what the cross was. It was was in this this ultimate, tangible picture, the reality of God's grace and love for you, and it bought your salvation. It purchased the, the same salvation that Nineveh received. You get it through Jesus. And so we return to the cross, we return to Jesus, the manifestation of all these character traits of God that we are pitted against, we can't quite reach. We turn to Jesus and we say, Jesus, remind me, show me, whatever it is, give me me an experience afresh of your grace and your love for me. And that opens me up, it frees me up to live not according to law and judgment with others, but according to grace and mercy. So I don't know who that is for you, I don't, I, don't, I don't know the relationships you're in. I don't know where you're angry. I don't know who's making you angry. I don't know who God is saying, open your eyes, experience my grace for this person. And I know it probably will start first with you, with grace for yourself. But what this passage doesn't leave you with, or it doesn't leave you um, able to get around is that God is calling us into this. He's calling us into this question, right? He's calling us, find the door. <laughs> what's, what's the door of your anger? Where does it lead? Who is the Lord giving you an opportunity to realize grace for? Let me pray. Lord, as we uh, pray, Father, as we embark on that journey, um, Lord, for this sweet Midtown West congregation, as they go to Aiken next week, um, I don't know if any of them are already involved in that school, but I can bet you just in participating in this church, they're about to enter a new world. There's a new community that they're stepping into. There's new relationships they can have. Maybe a a different part of the city than they've been in. Lord, I pray just for that specific situation and that scenario, would, would, would this Aiken community be a recipient of the love of Jesus through Midtown West? And God, again, I don't know all the other opportunities you're calling um, my brothers and sisters in here to step into. I don't know what relationships they're in. um, But Holy Spirit, um, don't let us escape. Just like Jonah, Lord, come after us. You chased Jonah so far and so long. Jonah received your grace, the grace of your patient love for him. You wouldn't let him leave, so don't let us leave either. Lord, pour out your grace on us. Give us reminders of that. Lord, I just wreck our lives if we do not understand your grace. (laughs) I know it's such a bold prayer, Lord, but um, do not let us go through life um, with too small a view of your love and your grace for us, because we will become people that change the world if we have that. Pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.